Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. It's good to be back with you. Uh, Trey did a tremendous job last week, uh, and I love that he he and I preach so differently. Uh, I think it's a, a probably a really good thing uh, for us as a church uh, to, to, to walk through uh, the text with different voices, different speakers. Uh, and so, uh, but we are going to continue uh, through Matthew. Let me read the text, and then we'll dive right in. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. <clears throat> so his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and healed them. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples said to him, uh, came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom uh, of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Let's pray. Uh, God, I'm thankful for this morning. I'm thankful for this text. thankful for uh, the start of a few sermons that'll be um, about um, really your sermon on the mount. Uh, um, and God, help us to see all that you have for us, the richness uh, of, of the text today, the richness of the text over the next few weeks or months. God, we love you. Help mold us and shape us into what you have for us, the image of your son, Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, artwork by uh, Tim Noble and Sue Webster. Uh, there are some pretty famous artists that um, have the ability to um, make, make art out of what is essentially trash. So you'll see something like this if you were to see one of their art exhibits, just this pile of trash on a table. And it doesn't really look like much. It just looks like discarded stuff, like tall boys and, and various wastes. And then they have this unique ability to um, create art simply by shining light onto the artwork. And so it'll make a cityscape like New York where you've got even the Twin Towers and other stuff in the background. And so uh, there's holes and stuff in the trash to make windows. And it's this unique ability to, to draw this out. And they have all sorts of different versions of this. So they'll have another one where it's just, once again, it looks like a pile of trash. It looks like nothing, something you'd see on an alleyway in New York or something along those lines. But as soon as you shine light on it, you realize it's a couple people laying down sitting there, which, once again, it's like, there's thoughts about meaning and purpose. It's like people out of trash. And so, um, or, or this last one, which is a pretty famous one as well. Maybe you can start like making out the form, trying to figure out what these trash piles will be, and then they'll shine a light, and it'll be two people sitting in chairs. And it's a phenomenal sort of art exhibit. Creative, thoughtful, there's all sorts of meaning probably, um, rich in those ideas. And I would argue today, in some ways, what Jesus, I think, is doing at the start of his text is very much this. 
very much shining a light onto all the things that would seem discarded, all the things that would seem unimportant, all the things that some might view as trash. And this week we do transition to the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus's most famous collections of teachings that has been called all sorts of things like the manifesto of the kingdom and, and things like that. And what characterizes, almost describing what characterizes the the government of heaven, the reign and rule of God. These are the values of the kingdom. And we get a opening blessing, an opening statement, a a beatitude if you're using the Latin, of what, um, about this kingdom. And Matthew, I think, lets us in a bit by giving us some context. He doesn't, Jesus doesn't just open out of context. But we get sort of this opening statement from Matthew that, um, that he went over throughout Galilee, teaching in all the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So fame spread throughout Syria, and they brought him all the sick, the afflicted, the disease, the pain, the possessed, uh, oppressed by demons, the seizures, the uh, or paral- um, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And there's crowds from Galilee and Decapolis, Judea and Jude- uh, Jerusalem, from the, beyond the Jordan, And guess what? Seeing these crowds, he went up to the mountain, he sat, and he preached the sermon. So this public ministry has kicked in. The teaching of Jesus has kicked in. This is sort of, um, we get a very short statement uh, before this, that he came to preach the kingdom of God, and then we will get this as the first main sermon in the book of Matthew. We'll cover healings a little bit more as we go, because we'll have a bunch of those stories. But the message that Jesus came to proclaim is the good news of the kingdom of God. And for a very quick diatribe, I literally put diatribe in my notes. If your understanding of what the gospel is is only about the death and resurrection of Jesus and it's not about the kingdom of God, I don't think we're preaching Jesus's kingdom or Jesus's gospel. Because in every gospel writer, Matthew preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, Mark 1 proclaiming the good news of God or the gospel of God, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is hand. Luke 4, I must preach the good news or the gospel of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. Acts 1, he appeared to them over the period of 40 days to spoke about the kingdom of God. It is a more whole picture to describe the gospel, the good news of Jesus related to the kingdom than to sometimes I think we get very... Um, I know I'm speaking to some of my theological nerds in the room, but we get very Paul, and we only focus in on the cross itself, and that's it. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John don't do that. When they start talking about the gospel, the good news, they make it so much of a bigger idea than simply just the cross. The cross is essential. Don't hear me say that. All four of them slow down to get there. But anyway, sorry, diatribe's over. So the kingdom of God, this understanding is wherever God intends um, or wherever things are as God intends them to be. His, his accomplished will enacted by his people. That when his people are doing the things that God desires out of the world, that is where God's kingdom is. And for many, especially for a predominantly Jewish crowd, when they hear the term the kingdom of God, they think about Israel, which is a lot of Matthew's audience would probably think there first. Because Israel's called to be a kingdom for God. And so that's, that's what they would have thought. But also, as they continued on, I think our own hearts, all of our hearts, make a lot of this worse. Because we look at people's lives, we look at people's circumstances, and whenever it doesn't totally line up with what we think of the sort of shalom, the, the flourishing life that God has for us, we look at that and say, all right, there must be something wrong. 
must be something wrong with the person. They must be outside the kingdom of God in some ways. They must not have God's favor right now, must not have God's blessings, their suffering, their mourning, whatever it may be. And, and we still do this in Christianity all the time. It's not just a Jewish problem. And sometimes we sort out insiders and outsiders, winners and losers, those who are favored right now and those who aren't. And so Jesus comes along and starts offering a blessing. Now, to be clear, this is not an uncommon practice either in Jesus' time or in Scripture, right? Even, even the whole book of Psalms starts with what? Blessed is the man who doesn't do dumb things and actually studies his, his Bible. Like, that's the opening of the book of Psalms. Or the Dead Sea Scrolls. We, we found the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and dated those prior to Jesus. Blessed is he who speaks truth with a pure heart, who does not slander with his tongue. Blessed are those who cling to the statutes, who do not cling to wisdom, um, ways of perversity. Blessed are those who rejoice of her, uh, who do not spend themselves in ways of folly. Blessed is he who seeks her with pure hands. That's wisdom again. Who does not go after her with a deceitful heart. Blessed is the man who attains wisdom and walks in the law of the Most High and applies his heart to her ways. So we have writings that, that speak a blessing. And this is, this is the, the Dead Sea crowd. This is a crowd that said, hey, we are the only ones who are doing this right. The rest of Israel have it all wrong, we are doing it right, and this is what it looks like to be blessed, to be obedient to everything God has told us to be, which sounds great. And, and we have Proverbs and other things that will teach that way. Or Jesus ben Sirach. So there was another Jesus, 150 years before the Jesus we know, who said things like this. There are nine who come to mind as blessed, the tenth whom my tongue proclaims. Blessed is the man who finds joy in his children. Blessed is the one who lives to see the downfall of his enemies. Blessed is the one who does not sin with his tongue. Blessed is the one who does not serve an inferior. Blessed is the one who finds a friend. Blessed is the one who speaks to attentive ears. Greatest is the one who finds wisdom, and none is greater than the one who fears the Lord. And once again, this sounds kind of Bible, but there's some questions. Like, blessed is the one who is important enough that plenty of people actually pay attention to what they say. Or blessed is the one who doesn't serve the inferior. And these are things that Jesus Spencerach is, that they would have such a seat of honor and they would maintain that honor that they would never serve anyone that is in a less honorable position to them, which is a very Jewish and Greco-Roman idea. Blessed is the one who's so successful that they win at everything they do. All they do is watch their enemies and their downfall. This is the world that Jesus enters. The world where the winners and the losers are sorted. It's clear. But who do we meet? Who does Matthew introduce us to before coming to this hillside? And it's a beautiful hillside. We had this chance to, to go there this summer. It's right on the lake. You see the lake off in the distance. It's wonderful. But Jesus sees the crowd when he responds. And who do we meet? The disease, the afflicted, the sick, those in pain, the demonic, the epileptic, the paralytics. A whole lot of people that are definitely on the outside, couldn't even walk into synagogue and worship they would not be people that people look at and go, you know what, those are blessed people. They're unblessed by the world's standards. They're truly outsiders. And we pass over texts like this, and then we pass over that next line even more, right? Then we hear, oh, there's people from Galilee, which is great. Jesus has chosen four disciples up to this point. They're all Galileans, and I'm sure they're like, yeah, I'm glad my fellow Galileans are all hearing this good news from Jesus. Wonderful. Then the Decapolis. Okay. 
If you were a Galilean, you could not actually even say the term Decapolis without being unclean. It was a law at the time. The Decapolis were the pagan of the pagans. Like, this is definitely the outsiders. And so the, 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 the Decapolis people are somehow showing up. I'm sure the disciples are suddenly like, hold up, Jesus. Like, what's the deal? Why are these people here? And then a bunch of Judeans. And although fellow Jews, uh, they would often refer to each other by spitting on the ground and then pronouncing Judean or Galilean. They, they were um, almost like the north and south of America back in the day. It was definitely a divide of, um, of regions, of people that did, they would not be found at the same barbecues. Let's just be clear on that. And then beyond the Jordan, which is actually the, the, the territory of the Zealots. So you had people that probably had the same zeal that the Pharisees had, but in a way that just wanted to bring war, just wanted to tear down Rome. And so you have all these different groups all showing up. And Matthew doesn't just go, hey, there were crowds following Jesus. It says, hey, here are some of the people in this crowd. There's folks from the Decapolis. There's, there's folks from Judea. There's folks from uh, the region beyond the Jordan. He's, he's going out of his way to include these people there. And what does verse one say? Seeing these crowds. So this isn't, Jesus had planned on doing this and it had been set up for weeks and this was, no. He's walking along, he suddenly sees this radically diverse, in many ways a group of outsiders, collection of people, and he starts teaching. He pulls his disciples to him, amongst unclean, amongst outsiders, pulls them to him, and in some ways starts shining a light on a pile of trash, or at least how the world would define them. He opened his mouth and taught them. So it's a question of, and this is debated throughout all the various commentaries, how much is Jesus focusing on his disciples? How much is he focusing on just the crowds? Uh, he starts, it seems like, um, with a bit of a focus on disciples, but by the end it will be the crowds, and that's okay, that's totally rabbinic. And he starts, blessed are. Now, I don't want to necessarily think of the idea of happy, though that word can certainly tra be translated like that, but as with most English words, sometimes they lose their effect over time. Uh, one way to think about this is sort of like God's favor upon or God is near to uh, those that are and then each of the lines. And I've heard sermon after sermon on Beatitudes. As something, these are the things that we are meant to aspire to. But there's a number of problems with a few of these, if that's the case. Like, does mourning seem like something we're supposed to aspire to? Right? At least just, just straight up, not after 20 minutes of theological unpacking. No, mourning just doesn't seem like. Does lacking spirit seem like something to aspire to? No. So I want to be careful. And I've heard, and I've probably taught the Beatitudes, I think, at some point, in a super spiritualized way. That makes us all a prescription of the spiritual life. And we make it all about individualistic sort of pursuit of God, right? The poor spirit is just recognizing I'm a sinner in need of grace and nothing good dwells in me. And then I, I mourn over the fact that I'm this way and I need, I'm far from God's righteousness. And then I just need to put on meekness. I just need to humble myself to a lowly state. And then, then I can strive for righteousness. But I, I don't want to be in the state of brokenness. I can strive for righteousness, but I just, what I really want is Jesus' righteousness. And then, then I seek to understand Jesus by being merciful. I can understand his mercy. I can finally have a pure heart and keep me, uh, to keep me from doing the things that are unmerciful, to be a merciful person. And if I do all that, I'll experience persecution, right? That is how I've heard this preached 10,000 times. 
And I have probably preached it that way. But if you read the book of Matthew, it does not seem like you, you, that's, that is the right application how Matthew has set up any of his book. And Sky Jathani says um, in, in his book, What If Jesus Was Serious? Too often those characteristics of the Beatitudes are turned into ideals we must strive to attain. As ideals, they can become formulas for power. So it becomes a bit of jockeying, almost like a Pharisaic practice. Rather than descriptions of the kind of people characteristic of the new age brought by Christ. Thus, Jesus does not tell us that we should try to become poor in spirit or meek or peacemakers. He simply says that many who are called into the kingdom will find themselves so constituted that many will find themselves already in this state. And what I think Jesus is doing as we walk into these these texts is actually an invitation, a welcoming in, in a world so defined by the best and the brightest. It's the world so defined by those who are healthy or rich or flourishing or honored, ruled by the rich and the powerful, that might makes right, whatever it is, that perhaps Jesus is turning the world upside down right from his opening statement. Because from the rest of the book, we will find plenty of people who are poor in spirit, who are mourning, who are downcast, who are afflicted. It will be through the rest of the book. So let's look. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right, poor in spirit. If you are poor in spirit, what are you lacking? Spirit, right. It's not complicated. And some speak of this as a position of humility, though that's not used in the Gospels ever again that way. Or sometimes it's about those who are dispirited. Um, but here's what I want to do. I want to I paraphrase these. Um, it's like I'm writing my own, the Message Bible, um, just to help us unpack in the context that it's in. So here we go. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual, because the kingdom of heaven is well-suited for ordinary people. That in some ways, being spiritually elite is not the passageway for the kingdom of God. And and in Jesus' day, if anything, because remember, who has Jesus just selected? What did Trey preach on next last week? These four boys who are kind of there's three schools of Jewish education. Uh, So there's the the Bet Sefer, that almost every male and most females would actually go through at the time. And it kind of ended, you would memorize your Torah, you would know their dad. Um, and uh, then there's Beth Talmud and Beth Midrash, and you would continue on to become the spiritual elites of Israel. Whether it's uh, Pharisees, whether it's priests, you would become the elite. So these boys are people that many looked at and said, you know what, you're just not cut out for the spiritual elite here. Go, go fish. No, you're not cut out for this, but I think that you can become like me. And he asks them to follow him. He doesn't select the ones who are dedicating their whole lives to the study of scripture in the, in the synagogues every day, week in and week out, but fishermen. And no one's looking to fishermen or pagans from Decapolis who can't attend the synagogue. Jesus goes, you know what? I can use you. And if you're here, I want to be clear. If you're here, and it's like, you know what? I struggle. I struggle to be a very, like, spiritual person. I'm not spiritually mature. I don't know how much I can actually contribute to, like, the religious stuff. I'm not very educated. I sometimes struggle here. I feel like a nobody when it comes to, like, church stuff. Well, Jesus would come along and go, blessed are you. Blessed are you. God is near to you. You have a place in my kingdom. The Pharisees are rock stars 
when it comes to the Bible. And they're far from me. But you have a seat at my table. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I would maybe rephrase this in the Chris International Version. Blessed are the depressed who mourn and grieve, for they create space to encounter comfort from another. I think too often, and um, as a staff, me, me, Sarah, and Brent went through, went through a great book by Tish Harrison Morrison, Morrison about this, but, um, or Warren, uh, that too often I think we look at those who are grieving, those who are suffering, and think there's just no favor right now. There's just no blessing right now. Clearly something has gone wrong in their life and there's no blessing. And this happens in scripture too. There's a blind person, disciples are like who sinned, him or his parents. And God's like, you missed the point. That's not even the right question. But when there's an encounter, a loss of, of some kind, grief is the right response. I mean, we are told to grieve with those who grieve. This capacity to feel sorrow deeply, I think it's often matched by a capacity to actually rejoice greatly too. And perhaps you come in here with sorrow, grief, pain, hurts. And the church should not be the place where you have to put a brave face on. I had a great conversation with one of the, the moms in this church just a couple weeks ago. She's overwhelmed by a lot. And her mom had found out she had cancer. There was just a lot going on. And, and I asked her, how are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm like, no, 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 how, how are you doing? And she's like, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And I go, no, 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 how are you doing? And then, and then the tears come. And it was just this moment to go, okay, like, your capacity to grieve and to mourn and to be sad also opened the capacity for the church to come and to pray for her. To, to grieve with her, to comfort her in her grief. And I think it's sometimes, and, and I mean, some of this is the byproduct of the leadership. Like, I am not the most externally emotional person, even though I cry like every other week now. Um, but it's something that where we invite in the Spirit of God working through His people to provide comfort to those who grieve. And his kingdom is not far removed from those who are suffering. It is near. God's, God's favor is still there. We've got to be careful what we define as favored or not. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, or land, depending on your translation. Now, Jesus quotes throughout all these Beatitudes. I would say almost every one of these Beatitudes exists in the Old Testament. Just to be clear. Isaiah, 2 Samuel, Psalms, they're all over the place. And this is probably the one he quotes almost the most directly. Because in Psalm 37, it says that the meek will inherit the land, right? It's, it's just there, straight up. But in Hebrew, if we're working off of Hebrew to start with here, um, in Matthew's, I mean, the, the book's written in Greek, but it is highly unlikely Jesus and, and, his, and his crew were, were, were Greek first. Uh, they would have been Aramaic or Hebrew first. And so Jesus is likely quoting Psalm 37 here. And the word meek there is really, in Hebrew, the word afflicted. And I've heard, like, well, meek's like a horse and your bridling power and stuff like that. And that's fine. But that's not, that's not how the Hebrew would render it at all. It's really this idea of affliction or oppression. So, to rephrase, blessed are the afflicted or oppressed, for God will personally guarantee their share 
as heaven comes to earth, which would be so much more the context of Psalm 37, which is the, the, the Jewish people who are suffering and afflicted by oppressive groups who will one day, God will restore things for them. Now, once again, we are schooled in the virtue of sort of might and being number one, and it's hard for us to think differently. And dividing a people into sort of winners or losers or insiders and outsiders, it's almost antithetical to the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, the earth is not abstract for these listeners either, because it really is the word land. And up to this point, they would have thought of it as like, this is about the promised land. Now remember, there's people from this group called the Zealots. Now their role is to kick out Rome by force, to be the winners, to be the ones who are victorious, to to fight the battle and win it all. And Jesus is reminding them once again, no, blessed are the afflicted. They'll, They'll inherit the earth. They'll inherit this land, don't worry. And Jesus is inviting in those who are suffering and oppressed. We're not winning at anything in the world of the eyes. And he says, my kingdom is for you. And yes, there's a victory at the end of it all. And perhaps that's you today, too. You come in here and you're just afflicted. You're hurting. You're oppressed. It feels like you can't get a win anywhere in life right now. And God says, hey, I'm near to you as well. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. If you are hungering for food and water, what do you lack? Food and water, right? So if you're hungry for righteousness right now, what are you lacking? Righteousness, right? Now, I'll make this even more controversial. We have the wonderful world of Greek to English. In Greek and in Hebrew, the word for righteousness is also the word justice, and it's also the word generosity. And it's almost translated as equally throughout the Bible, all three. We have three different words for what they have one word for. So translators have to make a a guess. I don't love the guess towards righteousness here. It's not my favorite. Because at some point, given the context of this whole dang sermon, we will talk a ton about justice, more than we'll talk about righteousness. And so, I would argue that the the, the statement here is those who are hungering and thirsting for justice in this world. I think this causes us not to hear well. I think we bring theological concepts from the New Testament into uh, this. We bring Paul language and we think blessed are those who are really, really, really want to be spiritual because they'll be very spiritual. And I don't think that's what's happening here in the text. The blessed are those who ache for the world to be made right. For them, the government of God is a dream come true. Blessed are those who just ache who realize there's something wrong at the world right now, something wrong in Decatur, something wrong on the east side of Atlanta, and just sitting here going, yes, I hunger and thirst for this world to be made right right now. And are you discontent? Do you feel like the world is jacked up and wish there's a solution for it? Well, guess what? God's agenda is that. Part of God's work is restoring the broken places of this world, and so God's kingdom is near to you. And then we get this back half group, as if it's almost this crowd that's like working in and through the mess of the world. Like, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Or to rephrase, I think, blessed are those who give mercy because they will get it back when they need it most. And we see wonderful phrases like mercy triumphs over justice. 
from James. And Jesus will tell parable after parable after parable after parable after parable in which he calls his people to be merciful to others. That if we are merciful to others, then he will be merciful to us. Now, I'm not shooting for a works-based theology here, and we will work against that. But it does drive us that we should be that much more merciful. That God's people should be marked by mercy. Now, is mercy easy work? No. And I would say these whole back half four that we get in this group are all things that are really, really tough to actually live out. Particularly coming off statements like people who are hungering and thirsting for the justice of the world, but man, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who, even in the face of injustice, are willing to show mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Another way to say this is blessed are those who have a heart ready for the things of God, because they will receive the things they're ready for. I think like the Pharisees, it's almost a tragic story. I know we use Pharisaic, and Pharisee is like always this catch-all negative term. But their story is complex, and it's more complex with that, and not all Pharisees or the bad guys, plenty of them follow Jesus too. But they so wanted to be obedient. Like that is their story. They, they said, hey, we ended up in captivity. We got cast out. Jerusalem got destroyed because we were disobedient. We so desire to be obedient. And we're going to follow the law. We're going to add thousands of more rules to make sure we do this right and desire to be obedient. The difficulty is that they, they weighed things differently. And in their obedience, it caused the, the, the heavier things of the law, which we'll deal with a little bit next week, I think of mercy and justice and things like that to be cast aside. And they yearned for God and they believed that God was going to send the Messiah and they were convinced Messiah would look like them. Be one of them, like Pharisee Deluxe. And because Jesus wasn't that, they missed it. And their heart was covered in pride and judgmentalism. They missed God on earth because they were not willing to go, you know what, God, whatever you have, I'm willing. Now, is being pure of heart simple or easy? No. It's not rainbows or unicorns. It's sometimes putting death to the things we hold most dear. It's seeking to walk the ways of God, but that is what God is blessing here. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Or blessed are the bridge builders in a war-torn world, for they are God's children working in the family business. Now, yes, we, we long for the age to come. And we long for the age of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. And he calls us into living that way now. And it, the zealots had a way to peace, which is killing a bunch of Roman soldiers. But that's not Jesus' way. The Pharisees had a way of peace by just being as obedient to everything it could be, even if it, at the expense of the outsiders. And that wasn't the way to peace. But is peacemaking easy? And it's really hard. Drives people crazy. Because I, I want all parties to be sort of satisfied at the end of it. And it's really hard. You're not in the camp with the angry side. You're not in the camp with the other side. It's, it's hard work. Especially in a war-torn world. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. Once again, blessed are those who are maligned or mistreated for the right reasons, for the kingdom of heaven comes to earth amidst such persecution. So the willingness to suffer for Christ, 
Like that is what it means to take up the cross. To suffer what it means to follow Jesus. It's not, if not willing to suffer, we try other ways. We, we go, you know what, like, yeah, persecution, maybe not. Like political power, certain things, other avenues. But if you are living the way of God, everyone's not going to like what you're doing. And there's going to be suffering or persecution for, for, and for justice's sake. Let me contextualize. So the first four, I would argue, are an invitation particularly for those that many had written off. To modernize a bit, Dallas Willard uh, paraphrases this, and Dallas Willard has a great book on the Sermon on the Mount. So blessed are the physically repulsive, blessed are those who smell bad, the twisted, the misshapen, the deformed, the too big, the too little, the too loud, the too bald, the fat, the old, unblessed and unblessable, the physically repulsive. The flunk outs, the dropouts, the burnouts, broke and broken, the drug heads and divorced, the HIV positive and herpes ridden, the brain damaged, the incurable ill, the barren and the pregnant, too many times and the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced. God's kingdom and blessing is open for you. And I think that's what Jesus came along to do in this opening message. Say, hey, I know the ways of the world. But you know who's welcome? Everybody. And those that you think are far from me are not. Because remember, who's Matthew? <laughs> what's Matthew? What's, what's the story? Tax collector, outsider. I bet every Galilean sitting there goes, yeah, he's on the outside looking in. That guy is far from the kingdom of God. And Jesus walks along to this tax collector and says, come follow me. You don't think one of the first things that Matthew is going to record is Jesus' opening statement where he's inviting just about everyone to the table? I always love, um, sometimes secular culture gets us better than we do. Um, and I've brought it up before, but um, Dear Evan Hansen, it's a great musical, uh, super popular over the last five years or so. And one of the key moments of the storyline, that the main character, Evan Hansen, is this outsider. He's socially awkward. He he's struggles to fit in anywhere. He's so lonely that sort of like the background story is that he's likely tried to commit suicide in the storyline. And his friend had somebody, he's not even his friend, his acquaintance commits suicide. Anyways, I'm giving too many details. But he gets to this point where he sort of connects with this character that had committed suicide that he, um, he sees in himself the sort of empty, lonely life in that character that, that he experiences. And he ends up having to give the speech at school. There's a lot of details to get there. And he sings a song. And the lyrics go like this. Man. Uh, have you ever felt like nobody was there? Have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere? Have you ever felt like you could disappear, like you could fall and no one would hear? Well, let that lonely feeling wash away. Maybe there's a reason to believe you're okay. Because when you don't feel strong enough to stand, you can reach, reach out your hand. And oh, someone will come running. And I know they'll take you home. Even when the dark comes crashing through, when you need a friend to carry you, and when you're broken on the ground, you will be found. So let the sun come streaming in, because you'll reach out and you'll rise again. Let your head 
and look around, you will be found. Now, there's so many Jesus overtones to that song. So many. Of Jesus, of I think what it, the Sermon on the Mount starts with, which is Jesus going, hey, do you feel like you are on the outside? Because if you do, you do not understand my kingdom. And if you feel like you're the outcast and have no seat at the table and haven't been able to worship in synagogue for 20 years because of whatever disease you're carrying, my kingdom is near to you. It's an invitation in. And the second is to live this out. Those who seek mercy and peacemaking and justice. And then he does this interesting thing because he talks about the persecuted and then he does it again. Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you for and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now notice anything different about this line or two. What are the pronouns? What are the pronouns of all the other Beatitudes up to this point? Blessed are those, blessed are those over here, whatever it may be. And then he moves and says, blessed are you. On, on a repeated line about persecuted, blessed are you. And I would argue, I think Jesus has pulled his disciples, who are, how comfortable do you think the disciples are at this moment? These Galilean boys who understand things. Probably not very. And I think, I think this opening is also, I want you to understand something, boys. All those groups that you can easily label, that group you think that God's not with them, God's with them. That group that you think is enemy, show them mercy. That group that has infighting, well, make peace with them. That's the kingdom of God, what kingdom of God looks like, and go and pursue it. And when you pursue it, guess what's going to happen? Think everybody's going to love this? No. You're going to tell people that God's favor rests on the poor, that outsiders might be insiders? Buckle up, boys. This is going to be a, a work. There's a new king and a new kingdom. And disciples, this is what my kingdom is about. And if you sign on to this, it's going to be difficult. That's so what the prophets came, and guess what? No, everybody rejected them too. But this is going to be worth it. And there's so much reward. And Jesus is providing a picture of what his people are meant to be, which is fitting. It's Matthew who's doing this incredible work and connecting it to I would argue the Sinai, it's like this is the law for God's people again. So what would this look like? Jesus' invitation of the kingdom will be quite a messy party. It just will. And we will see more parables time and time again where Jesus is like, here are all the crazies that show up at my table. And you may go out to all the people who think they, they should be invited and you'll invite them and they won't show up. So go out and invite just about anybody else. And perhaps you're the one in here that thinks the kingdom is far from them. And you, you, you have to imagine that the good news is for you. If you feel like you're a nobody, God is near you. You feel like you can't draw near to God, well, God draws near to you. And you feel like God has forgotten you and your circumstances, he is near. And perhaps that's what you need to see here. And perhaps you're the one that's uncomfortable with certain people at the table. And Matthew is challenging our very views of what we consider in and out. Matthew's the outsider. Everyone said there's no nearness, no favor, no blessedness. But Matthew knows the kingdom can be for a guy like him. You've got to imagine the zealots and the Galileans not being so happy when Jesus asked Matthew to follow him. 
And most people will default to God's blessing and be on the prosperous, the safe, the successful. But do we feel just as comfortable and invitational to say God's blessing is on you who may be experiencing homelessness or ability and neurodiversity? Those are destitute to go, yes, God's kingdom is for you. And perhaps you're the one that's like, yes, invitation to Jesus, that's fine, let's do it. And we struggle with the costs because this is not easy. People on the right will accuse probably us of just like Jesus being drunken and gluttons, drunkards and gluttons, let anything go. How can you let those people into the church? Have you seen the sin in their lives? The people on the left would accuse us of not being tolerant by actually calling people to repent and follow the way of Jesus, even if it includes their sexuality and things like that. It's going to be countercultural to everything at large. Are we ready for the way of Jesus? Lastly, it's Jesus who creates this new community. There's a lot of indicators, I won't get into technicalities, but that there's a center point of the Beatitudes, almost like a, a chiasm in, in Hebrew. The center point is the hungering and thirsting for righteousness or justice and the mercy. That's exactly what Jesus came to do. In the heart of the attitudes, righteousness and mercy meet in the middle. And at the cross of Jesus, justice and mercy is offered. Sin is destroyed, life is bestowed, all at the same time. Righteousness is restored, not through punishment, but through forgiveness. It's the starting, startling, breathtaking, indescribably counterintuitive way of Jesus. And it transforms. And reading Beatitudes from top to bottom, the transformation occurs. The four states of lack at the beginning pass through mercy and are transformed. Suddenly the poor in spirit are the ones who possess the kingdom. The one who mourns is the one who brings peace and comfort to others. The afflicted is the one who is pure of heart, who shall not only inherit the earth, but actually see God. And the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness has found everything put right at last, but in the attaining through mercy, not in the strong hand of judgment. And these blessings of the kingdom promise new life to people when we acknowledge our rightful king. And he brings hope, life, a better way. He brings us his gospel, his good news of the kingdom. And with every layer we peel back, the better this news proves to be.